Welcome to My Garden, My Life, the podcast that inspires you to grow with your garden. I'm Sarah Layton, founder of Growthfully, and my mission is to inspire and support you to enhance your life and mental health by growing your ownership of that precious space outside your home. When we make space in our lives for ourselves, anything is possible. I want you to feel confident getting your hands in the soil, making the changes you want to your garden, and feeling the joy that comes with taking action out there. Your garden, balcony, window boxes even, can literally change your life. And on that note, if you feel you need a bit of personalised guidance and support to make your dreams a reality, you might like to check out my coaching programme, which is, as you might expect, called Grow With Your Garden. Full details are available on my website and via the show notes. Today's guest is Marcelle Farrell, who I first encountered through Instagram when her poetic and expressive use of the garden life metaphor resonated very strongly with me. I was interested to discover that as well as being a gardener, she's both a psychotherapist and psychiatrist, though she's currently a stay-at-home mum enjoying getting to know her new garden in Somerset. We first connected over a post in which she said she was her ancestors' wildest dream, which resonated with me, as I imagine I am too, as the descendant of two young Jewish men who made their way to England from Eastern Europe in the mid-19th century. We had a thought-provoking and moving conversation in which we gently explores what it means to her as a black woman of mixed heritage to be gardening in Somerset in the UK and how she comes to terms with her heritage, that she has both ancestors who were slaves and ancestors who were most likely slave owners, and how she makes sense of this. Our conversation flowed through her delightful sounding garden on a hill with a stream, all the way to ancestry and slavery, with many interesting stops along the way. And I hope you enjoy it. So hello, Marcelle. Hello, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Ah, oh, well, thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to see where we go because we've already had quite a lot of interesting chats, haven't we? Yes, yes, we have. <laughs> but before we get started, would you like to introduce yourself? Tell us anything you'd like us to know. Yeah, well, my name's Marshall. I am a trained and qualified psychiatrist and psychotherapist, although not working at the minute. So primarily acting as a full-time stay-at-home mum to my young children. I'm also a gardener and I am beginning to think of myself as a writer, which I think is how we've come to know each other through some of the things that I post on my Instagram account, Afroliage. Yeah, that's absolutely what attracted me to want to get to know you better and to invite you to come on the podcast was, was your beautiful turn of phrase. That's so poetic and the connections you make. And it's, I didn't know, of course, when I did that or before we spoke that you were also a psychotherapist, psychiatrist. And it's interesting that that is the case. It, I mean, it doesn't surprise me because the connections you make are very much what it is that I'm interested in, in terms of the garden and ourselves. So, yes. Yeah. I think we, we quickly realized that we had a very shared kind of outlook on gardening and the mind didn't we we did we did and you've got a new garden to you haven't you I do yes very new we haven't been here a full year yet and this morning 
you've posted about that beautiful, well, both the white and the pink gladioli. Yes, a new discovery that's <laughs> that's just appeared, and it's quite magical. All the new discoveries that that the garden keeps giving us. Yes, I absolutely love it. So tell us about your garden. Where is it? So we're in the southwest. Um, we're in Somerset, and it is we're on a hill, <laughs> so it's quite a steeply terraced site. And the previous owners did a really beautiful job with the hard landscaping. I mean, when I say when I say it's a hill, there's a 14 degree, <laughs> 14 degree slope on the road just out, just outside. So you know, it, it's it's the top of the garden. You look over the rooftop of the house, which is down at the bottom. So there's you know there's a bit at the top with a lovely ash tree, and then you come down some steps into, I would say that what is currently the main bit of ornamental garden with some shrubs that we inherited. And then lots of things that I put in myself during lockdown this year. And there's a stream as well. We've got a spring that arises in the garden and it runs right from the top all the way down around the house and exits at the bottom of our property. So it's quite, it's quite a magical spot and it's all surrounded by fields and, and a wood. And we're kind of tucked into this valley, which means that we're a frost pocket. <laughs> I saw the faced frost this morning, um, a light frost, but I think we've got quite a short growing season here. But uh, yeah, it's quite quite a magical spot, really. Yes, because I was noticing people posting about frost and I I thought, has this passed me by? Have I missed the fact that <laughs> we four degrees this morning? The coldest we were last night was four degrees. So it's interesting because sometimes we get really, really cold. And my garden's new to me too. And we have obviously haven't got it as cold as a lot of people have, which I think is fascinating. Yes, yes. I've, we had a, a stonemason come round to do some work on a path in the garden. And he had actually helped the previous owners build quite a lot of the terracing. And he was telling us about how it can be, you know, a few degrees noticeably colder in our garden than up at the top of the hill. <laughs> and I've noticed that just through the season, um, that things have come into flower a good couple of weeks later in our garden compared to gardens, literally just a few yards up, up the hill, at, you know, in the main village. So it's, it's really interesting how you can have these microclimates. Absolutely. And and, uh, and the importance of getting to know your own garden and where you can put certain things. And Exactly, exactly. And is the planting, are you going to keep most of the planting? Are you going to work with what you've got? Is there stuff you want to, what, what are you thinking? It feels like it's a lovely garden because there are some beautiful things there already. So there are some mature shrubs and things that are that have just been such a joy as they've come into flower one after the other through spring and summer. One after another is rather good, isn't it? Yes, yes. They were really good on the successional planting. <laughs> but it's also got areas that have been neglected. That You know, there's this bit that they put in bamboo and they didn't contain it. So it's completely <laughs> overrun an entire section of the garden. And there, there are parts that we are definitely remodeling so it's a bit of both like there's a bit that was lawn just out the back of the house just so we there are two kind of flat bits as you come down towards the bottom of the garden and that bit was just lawn and there was a children's wendy house there and i think it was you know just where kids would would play i think they had a rabbit they had a rabbit hutch there the previous owners 
And we've taken taken that stuff out and have just built some veg beds. Oh, is that where those are? Yeah, you want to put a kitchen garden that you look out of the kitchen windows onto your kitchen garden. So we're yeah, we are making we are making some significant changes, I think. But you know, everything takes time. <laughs> and money and energy. It has to sort of fit around the rest of well, unless you're a full time gardener fit around what else is going on doesn't it absolutely I mean the garden saw a fair bit of neglect over the summer months because you know the kids are at home and as much as I you know I go outside and they come outside with me and I love that you know I love my my boy my eldest he can identify so many more plants now he seems to take it in like a sponge but in terms of being able to do a focused task (laughs) how old is he so he's he's five and a half and he's really good, but my youngest is four. She's just turned four. So, you know, I can get bursts of activity in the garden, but then she very much wants my attention and wants play. And so, you know, getting a focus task done is a lot trickier when, you know, they're both at home with me. So, yeah. Really, I was talking to Letitia McClue. Do you know Letitia? Yes, I love, I love, I, yeah. <laughs> Read read her newsletter. Love it. Letter, isn't it beautiful? Mm. You know, I just, in fact, that was what inspired me to. to I she's been on the podcast too. Uh, it's not out yet, but just the way she writes about the challenges of being a mum and having your own passion, and passions, and the frustration that can come from needing to be a mum whilst you actually want to use that same chunk of time for being for your passion. She talked about, in one of her newsletters recently, how she had taught the children to do useful jobs. Now, hers are a bit older than yours, but she's got, I think she's got her something like nine, ten-year-old mowing the lawn. Yes. <laughs> yes. And um, certainly got them, to, she's teaching them how to clean the bathroom and things like that, which is all brilliantly useful. I know. And I find her, I have to admit, I always find her newsletter so relatable. It often makes me howl with laughter. And, you know, just when she writes about some of the pain of of being in the garden with your children, it's so relatable, but also so inspiring. Because as you said, I think her youngest is probably about the same age as my eldest. So, you know, she's definitely a step ahead of me. So I'm like, oh, those are such useful tips. <laughs> so many useful tips. And I think I'm remembering, I think it's really extraordinary. And, you know, from a sort of psychological point of view, there's something very healing, even 25 years after the event, because mine are so grown up, to recognize that although nobody was on Instagram, although I didn't have people to talk to or see or read newsletters of when my kids were that age and I was struggling with this. Actually, I wasn't alone. I think there's something really healing about reading it even now, which just seems extraordinary, really. Oh, yes, I think I think so. And I certainly find it in my, you know, my kind of friendships and relationships offline as well, you know, um, speaking with women who are at different stages in, in, in their lives. And there's so much as you say, healing, you know, in, in those, in discovering those connections and finding those points of, of resonance <laughs> in your lives. So your bio on your Instagram is gardening as a subversive act. These are the things my garden told me. Tell me about that. 
Yeah. Um, Big question. <laughs> well, there is, there's the kind of obvious, well, these things always have so many layers, don't they? And I really love that. I love things that have, that, that have different layers of meaning and can mean different things to different people. And there's the kind of meaning of garden, you know, when you can garden, when you can understand soil and light and have plants thrive and, you know, get harvests from them, for instance, there's a way in which you can be self-sufficient, isn't there? You can grow food for yourself. And in a way, you are then slightly freed from the kind of capitalist machinery <laughs> that we're in. And, and so you subvert, you subvert the kind of system in inverted commas in, in that way. But the other way that, the way that it really resonates for me is when, it, I remember in my training as a therapist, I, I was talking with one of my trainers, my beloved trainers at one point about the ambivalence towards psychotherapists. And I worked in an NHS setting and there always seemed to be that there was this deep need and des desire and demand for us at the same time as services being cut and <laughs> hours being cut and, you know, a kind of annihilation of us, at, you know, kind of going alongside each other. And so I wondered about this ambivalence and they, they spoke to me about thinking. And about how, you know, when you train as a psychoanalyst and when you, when you, you know, have therapy with a patient, kind of what you're doing is you're helping someone learn to think for themselves, to truly think for themselves and to kind of see the truth of something and not this sort of delusions or denial and, you know, all the, all the things that we might be living in that we think are true, but aren't necessarily the truth of our experience. And they said that that was the most subversive thing that you can do is to you know, have someone really be able to think for themselves, for their eyes to be open to the world, you know, as it were. And so for me, my garden helps me to think. And I'd say these are the things my garden told me because I really turned to the garden during lockdown. I mean, I absolutely threw myself into it. And my husband is also a doctor who works full time as a hospital consultant. And he was put on this kind of emergency rotor which paradoxically meant that he was at home during the day a bit more because he was doing lots more night shifts and weekends. So we were sort of sharing the homeschooling, you know, kind of sharing the children during the day. And I had more time and I would go, I would go out to work in the garden is how I used to kind of think of it. And I took all of my feelings of anxiety and worry and, you know, just all the horrible feelings that that, that phase was kind of bringing up for me and really took it to the garden. <laughs> and in the act of being in the garden and waking in the garden, I would find that the feelings would transmute into coherent thoughts that I could then put words to and start to make sense of. And so it really felt like the garden was telling me things about myself. It was, it was, you know, it was telling me these these thoughts and ideas and, and there was something that you know and so so it was subverting something it was it was it was you know subverting something about these difficult feelings into thoughts that I can make sense of and even find beauty in and it's interesting because what you described as your trainer to explain to you the idea that the therapeutic process is actually subversive in itself because it invites us to learn how to think yes and that's what you're saying that your garden does too. So it, you know, there is exactly that metaphor, the garden as therapy. It's yes. invitation to, to really 
Well, it makes I, my experience of it is that we can I can make space for myself in the garden, and maybe that's I feel received, and in the process of taking action, you know, small small activity in the garden, pruning, dividing. At the moment, I'm always going on about deadheading. <laughs> it really is. I don't know what it is about deadheading, but there's that activity where it requires enough concentration not to take off the new buds and to go right the way down the bottom of the stem and take off the, the whole stem so it ends up looking tidy. And you start off with a plant that's half half fresh and lovely and half older and past it and end up with a plant that's just full of potential because all the, 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 the old stuff's gone. I'm not ready for it to turn into seed, so I'm removing it. I just There's just something about that process that is so space-making for me. Absolutely. It, it always, I always think about, you know, that thing about uh, flow states and how, yes, and for me, the garden is one of, is definitely one of the things that puts me into a state of flow. Although definitely not when I'm doing it with my small children around. <laughs> oh, yes, that's the, that's the, that's the tricky thing, isn't it? Yes. But when, when they, when, when I can have some space out there on my own, I absolutely enter that that flow state and it is so it does so much for my mind for my mental state you know I I come back so much calmer <laughs> so much more kind of resilient if I've been out there and have had some time for my brain to settle into that space absolutely it's it's so therapeutic it's a closed question but how, how what do you find about flow states with your children are there ways of getting into flow for you with your children, do you think? Yes, yes, there are. It requires a lot more letting go of things. Yes. Um, yes. So that in itself is always a kind of testing, boundary pushing, learning experience <laughs> for me. Because I suppose, you know, to get where I've gotten to in life has required a fair degree of perfectionism and you know uh care about how out uh, care about outcomes and exerting a certain amount of control over how things turn out being in the garden with my children is the absolute antithesis of that and you know it's it's beautiful when I can surrender to it I wasn't necessarily meaning in your garden I was meaning kind of in any activity oh yeah yeah children where you find because we have to take ourselves out of the way don't we in order to get into no state with the children yes well the thing is they they are almost always in flow it's amazing you know kind of once they're rested and fed <laughs> yeah. they they kind of operate permanently in that kind of state and so be when I can allow myself to meet them there it's 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 a joy really you know but there's often there's you know it's all it let, it means letting go of so much of the mental to-do list of you know <laughs> of keeping an eye on the time you know <laughs> of when do I have to make dinner of you know th there's a lot that I feel like there's so much that I have to kind of shed to join them where they are but when I can do it it's 
it's lovely yeah is that sort of concept of special time have you come across that no special time no I'm trying to think who the she was a family therapist special time I'm just gonna my brain isn't giving me the name of the special time the person who created it there was a therapist in the 50s whose name escapes me but I'll put it in the notes because I will find it who who conceived this idea of special time and it's a time she was a family therapist so she was dealing with families in 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 crisis but it's a very useful concept and the, and the idea is that you set a specific amount of time and that the child knows and you know oh yes yes so no doorbell gets answered no telephone gets answered and during that time the child leads and tells you what to do and it's absolutely my experience of it was when I could do it because it takes a lot as you said already but it's another sort of layer because it's a complete giving over of yourself to the child but it's just magical in terms of what it does for the relationship and for the confidence of the child that they are allowed to lead the way and decide and that you go along with them Yes, I do know that concept. I um I did some training on it. I think I think they call it watch, wait, and wonder. Where I yeah, but it's yeah, it is. It's it's lovely to do, and it's really lovely to watch as a therapist to kind of see see the impact that it that it can have on a on a troubled relationship between a parent and a child. It's it's yeah yeah. I do know that concept. It's it's a lovely one. Yeah. So. What do you feel or think that you're teaching your children with your garden and your gardening and this connection with the land? Yeah, I... Oh, that's a big question, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, in a way, it's a big question, but in a way, it's also really quite simple. I suppose I, what I really, really want them to feel is grounded and a sense of belonging and I suppose that feels really important to me because I mean I'm I'm an immigrant you know I grew up in the Caribbean and immigrated here for university and belonging and identity has been a a theme that runs through my whole life (laughs) really my heritage is very very mixed even even in Trinidad, where I grew up, you know, my, my, I have ancestors from all around the globe, really. And so, but there's, there's something that feels very, very important about being rooted where I am and feeling a connection to the place in which I am. And so that is what I'm hoping, I think, to offer my children through getting to know the garden you know getting to know the plants getting to understand the soil and the earth around them having that relationship so that they can feel rooted wherever they might find themselves you know that 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 could be their point of connection it goes both ways doesn't it because I often think about I think forwards in terms of my children and their connection and I'm also always thinking sort of backwards in a way you know about about where I came from and and how I've ended up here and that was actually I think the first of your posts that I responded to 
on Instagram was about, was a, was a comment, was a quote that you made about being your ancestors' greatest dream. Yeah, I think it's, I am my ancestors' wildest, wildest dreams. I really resonated with that, for similar and different reasons, but was really, really sort of moved by my, that, I, that idea. And, and I'd be interested to hear you sort of talk to it a little bit, if you would. I suppose I was thinking when I wrote that about, and I think often, <laughs> about how, how fortunate I am to be where I am. Certainly from the point of view of some of my more recent ancestors. So I'm a black woman living in, living in England, living in a lovely house in the English countryside <laughs> with this beautiful garden. And, you know, my, gran my grandmother, who I think I reference probably quite a lot in, in my writing and who was a huge influence in my life because she, she did a huge amount of childcare for my mum. You know, she, she raised me in, in, in many ways. She was a huge Anglophile. She grew roses or, or attempted to <laughs> grow roses in her, in her tropical garden. And she wore things like Yardley's English lavender, you know, and she, she loved England where some of her sisters had, had emigrated. So she'd visited there? She did. She visited England and she loved this country very much. And I think she would... She would die of happiness to see my garden, I think. You know, I think this would this would really be her kind of absolute dream come come true that that I would be would have this beautiful space and be living in. And what I was thinking about when I wrote that was that, you know, there's a way in which certainly at the minute you can look at the news and can look at the you know, all that's going on in the world and feel quite kind of helpless and hopeless. <laughs> And when I think about what ancestors of mine have been through, that puts a lot in perspective for me and reminds me that actually I have, it, it's very, it feels very empowering, you know, that actually I have so much that they would be so happy that, that, that this is where I am, you know, and actually I need to remember that and, and use the power of that <laughs> but also remember that I had I had ancestors who came before them or had different circumstances to them as well you know that that isn't the be all and let you know the, the the history the experience of enslaved ancestors who you know my ancestors survived that you know so that, that that's not something to 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 sniff at but that that's not the be all and end all of my experience there's a there's a richness there's, there's a huge amount of pain in that, but there's also a richness and trying to, to, to think about all, about all of that and keep all of that in mind, which is, of course, not easy. And I don't pretend that I, that I master it at all, but I suppose I'm always curious about it. I'm always wondering about it. So the, the, the very fact of, of survival being around... The power of having been able to survive that is that what you mean yes yes partly yeah that there was there that you know that there was something very powerful about you know all of us who are alive today you know our ancestors have survived a lot for us to be 
for you know there have been two world wars you know there there have been there have been all kinds of grief and trauma in the world but definitely those of us who have direct knowledge of ancestors who suffered in difficult ways you know that we are living something that would that might be remarkable from from their point of view and that that's a powerful thing absolutely and, and how do you feel about living in a country which was directly implicated you know were slave owners trafficking people and doing appalling things oh I have all sorts of mixed feelings about (laughs) about that I suppose my relationship with it is not straightforward because my heritage is mixed so as well as ancestors who were enslaved I have ancestors who were probably slave owners and somehow through all the twists and turns of fate (laughs) over over history, lots and lots of different people have come together to make me who I am. You know, I have ancestors who are Chinese and went to Trinidad as traders, as well as people who were brought there as slaves, as well as indigenous people who lived in, in the in the Caribbean, and as well as you know Scottish missionaries and you know all all sorts. So that 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 uncomfortable tension, <laughs> but lives literally lives within me lives within my dna so i find it very difficult to occupy just the position of um to occupy any position you, you know i i find i end up sitting with a lot of grief i sit with i sit with a lot of grief primarily grief at just the state of the world and there being so many uh, incompletions really there's there's no there's no easy answer Ex- yes grief at the ways in which we lose ourselves <laughs> lose connection with yeah the best of our humanity yeah yeah that's an important distinction actually the best of our humanity because humanity is also the depravity stuff, isn't it? Well, exactly. All of it is being human, isn't it? Yeah. And how and where are you in terms of sort of... I'm really fascinated by the information that's been, that's been coming that I've never known about before. I'm sure it was around and I just didn't know about it, about plants. Well, I knew about it, but I hadn't thought about it in terms of, wow, these plants were originated in other places and brought here and discovered and renamed and I'm putting my fingers in the air and doing inverted commas because it's just so arrogant this idea that they could be discovered and renamed just and and yet I recognize an ambivalence in myself because I know those names the names that were the ones that have been around for I don't know two or three centuries are the ones I know these plants by. So there's a sort of difficulty about not wanting to learn new names, or they're not new names, old names, and yet recognising that these plants originated and people know them as their indigenous plants. And it's outrageous that we think that we name them. Yeah, it's really, 
Interesting, particularly thinking about naming and Jamaica Kincaid, who's writing I love, talks about naming, you know, the, the, the act of naming as an act of possession with regards to, you know, the garden and plants and, well, more widely, you know, um, as a metaphor more widely. But it, it's fascinating because I recently came to know the story of my great, 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 I forget exactly how many greats, but <laughs> great, <laughs> a couple of great grandmothers who, who was one, you know, she was one of, from one of the indigenous tribes of the, of the Caribbean, the Kalinago people. And, but by the time I know her story, I don't know her original name. She had, she was renamed, her, her family converted to Christianity and she was renamed an English name. But it's really interesting because this story that I've been, you know, this story that I've been told, the story that's been passed on that apparently she wanted people to know was that she, she married, she married this Scottish missionary out of love. They fell in love with each other and got married. So there was some, there was a way in which she chose her renaming, <laughs> which I appreciate the plants did not do, but I feel there's a, there's a complexity and there's a nuance to, to these relationships. And really what I think is the most painful thing is the denial of what happened. What happened happened. Humans have an incredible capacity for cruelty and unkindness to each other, but we also have an incredible capacity for love. And I feel it is when we live in a delusion, <laughs> you know, when we deny parts of ourselves and parts of our story that we are most lost from ourselves uh, and that actually you know that that's the bit that hurts really is is the denial and the 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 want the, the, the not wanting to look at the truth of what has happened so that we can all heal and move on <laughs> you know because that is what would happen if we would look at the truth that that's what the truth brings you it brings you healing. It brings you the capacity to move on from something when you can integrate the full truth of an experience. You know, it's like PTSD, you know, you know, trauma therapy. You have to kind of find a way of looking at the truth and integrating it into you. Allow yourself to feel it. Exactly. And to feel all the horrible, uncomfortable feelings, which are rage, but are also, I think, grief and pain, you know. And we do so much to, to avoid that. And I suppose that's been one way in which the garden has been really, really helpful for me. It, it almost composts those feelings for me. <laughs> um, somehow being out there and, and being in the garden and gardening, literally putting my hands in the soil, literally rooting myself into, into the ground. You know, I find a way of being able to move through those horrible feelings and and come to a place of closer to acceptance, I suppose. Yes, I can feel myself feeling moved by what you're saying. The idea of acceptance and how we do that. And as you say, through that process of processing the feelings, being with with what happened and seeing it for what it is and allowing all bits of us to know about it. Yeah. And of course, it's not at all easy. You know, I mean, I spent a, lo a large part of my life with the assumption that my own mixed heritage came about through 
violence, you know, that white slave owners must have raped their slaves to for the for the unions to have happened that eventually evolved in me and of and you know of course that's not that's not direct my parents have a love very loving relationship you know like in terms of the history that I know my parents my grandparents that's that that hasn't been the immediate but I assumed that story lived somewhere in my in my DNA and actually as I've been learning more stories about about past relatives you know like like that story of my great grandmother and how she married the missionary for love you know that has been quite quite (laughs) eye-opening you know it's really it's really shifted my perspective on on who I am and how I came to be here and also I imagine on what's possible you know this idea that if if a Scottish person and a Trinidadian woman were going to make a union that that would well it wouldn't be making a union it would be force and yet it wasn't it wasn't all that time ago it wasn't yeah and we imagine that society i don't know what i imagine but it makes me think about that picture at kenwood is of dido yes dido bell dido bell that's right a young a young woman who was brought to this country by her benefactor, I think, or her was he was he her father, left with a family, but not quite, and you know, brought up in luxury, brought up as a daughter, but not quite. Mm, yeah, that was so insidious. This idea that she was part of the family, except when they had important guests, when she'd have to eat in her room. Yes. Oh, I just thought that was just horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Our past is filled with so many, so many of these of these horrible things. And I suppose what we're having in this moment is um, a bit of a reckoning, but also, you know, people talk about an awakening, don't they? And where I suppose those of us who have had to kind of live these truths more, they're written into our skin. (laughs) So we, we have to, we have to kind of... Well, beneath your skin, sort of into yourself... Yeah, I was just thinking about how it feels like there's a there's a there's a meeting of something, a, me- a meeting of minds in a way where those of us who have had to kind of sit with these truths all along because we can't really escape them, we can't get away from them, are kind of meeting others who have been able to kind of close their eyes to it in a way because it's not like as if we've we've been unaffected you know this affects all of us I think you know I I write a lot about how we're all connected and I believe that so deeply so profoundly absolutely and I and then and initially that post that you wrote about your grandmother or your ancestor you know being your ancestor's wildest dream the way in which that touched me was that I'm a Jewish woman living in this country and my ancestors were young men who came in the 1870s. So my family's been here a long time, except for my paternal grandmother who came up from Poland when she was two. She was the most recent immigrant, but everybody else has been here for you know a century or so. And... What you wrote made me think that too. You know, 
I'm also my ancestor's wildest dream. Yes. Yeah. That's the thing. I think so many of us are. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I think that's something that many of us share. And, you know, I think a lot about how we how we move forward in this kind of difficult time. And I have absolutely no solutions. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm a doctor. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a politician. I, I, I you know, I, I don't know. But I feel very, very strongly that finding our points of connection has got to be a really key way to that, you know. And there's so much, I feel as though there's so much in the youth of politics, in in social media, you know, there's that very interesting documentary out at the minute, isn't there? It's on Netflix about social media and how, you know, how the algorithms kind of run along lines of creating division, which is so interesting because, of course, you and I connected <laughs> through social media. I think we're doing what is needed to needs to happen. Yes. And that is sub that is subvasive. And there the here you go, our garden has subvated. Our gardens have subvated. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Yes, absolutely. That is really and I think we ought to stop. We've been we've had a lovely conversation and we've been going quite a long time now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you, Marshall. I really have enjoyed that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me to speak with you, Sarah. It's been such a pleasure. It has. It really has. I've enjoyed it very much as well. So thank you. I hope you found that as interesting and thought-provoking as I did. Links to anything we mentioned are in the show notes, which are on my website at www.growthfully.co.uk. And you can find both Marshall and me on Instagram. Marcel is at Afroliage and I'm at Growthfully. Do please take a moment to subscribe, rate and review as it helps others find the podcast and I love to know you've enjoyed it. And if you've got any thoughts or comments you'd like to share, you can do that using the hashtag MyGardenMyLifePodcast. podcast.